Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And today we're going to learn all about propane. We're joined by Tucker Perkins. He's the president and chief executive officer of the Propane Education and Research Council. Tucker, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. How are you today? Ted, it is wonderful to be with you on a, the end of a nice week. Yeah, yeah, and and you're you're sitting right now. You're in. Uh, am I right? You're in Virginia. I'm speaking to you from Richmond, Virginia. Yes. And today we've got we got any sunshine today, or are we uh, all gray? Today's probably been a nice uh, winter day. Fifty degrees, thirty at night, and kind of this one of those comfortable days. A little cool in the morning, a little warm in the afternoon. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, listen. Thanks so much for being on the show again, and for representing the, the Propane Education and Research Council. Do you call it PERC? We do. We shorten that to PERC. Much much easier to say. Much, much easier to say. And I was impressed when I checked out your website. You've got quite a crew there. We have spent a lot of time on that website uh, because we really, we really have three or four distinctly different missions, and we really like to drive people to propane.com to learn. But, you know, there was a time when we were, really just worrying about safety and training, not not just for the industry, but for users of propane. And so a lots of effort over the years in safety and training, and now even how to modify training the way people learn. Uh, a lot of effort around technology and technology development kind of been my specialty over the years about working with the likes of John Deere or General Motors or Ford or Generac or General Electric seeing that their technology uses propane in the best way that it can be used. And that's kind of an exciting thing. Now we spend a lot of time talking about marketing and awareness. One, just about, you know, why you may want to have a propane forklift or maybe why you want to use propane on the farm. But, you know, something that I think we'll talk a lot about today is, you know, is propane a fuel of the future? You know, if you believe that, how can you justify that? And then talking about really the exciting parts of the future as we move to renewable carbon zero fuels. So we, yeah. we try to tell everybody how to do that on the website and it, uh, it keeps the website developers uh, very busy. Well, I think, thank you for the, your description of that. I think the website is very, very well done. And so of course we do encourage our, our listeners to go there. Let's talk propane. I did a little bit of research, obviously just getting ready for this discussion and what propane is known as the carbon Alkane, A-L-C-A-N, and I guess there's butane and propane and ethane. Um, but where, what, is, what is it? Where does, where does it come from? Well, I congratulate you on your carbon chemistry there. That's pretty good. Um, so, you know, it's funny. Today, it comes primarily from cleaning up natural gas. Simply, it's one of the heavier things in a natural gas well. As you sit in California you still sit in one of the last bastions where a little bit of it comes from cleaning up oil. So if it's in, if it's found with oil, it's often one of the lightest things, but kind of if you fast forward to today and the, the general explosion in shale development, almost all of the propane comes from natural gas. And in fact, America is in fact the most prolific producer of propane in the world by far. Um, to kind of put those numbers in perspective, we consume about 10 billion gallons a year for farms and homes and businesses. Um, and it's always interesting to talk about, well, while rarely people think about propane beyond their grill, 
at some point, you know, we're touching uh, 75% of the population in one way or another. But so we use about 10 billion gallons domestically in the U.S. We make 25 billion gallons. And we, we are the supplier of propane. You know, LNG is very much in the news, moving LNG from America to Europe. We routinely are the supplier for all of the Caribbean with propane, most of South America, large swaths of Asia, and then big parts of Europe now. Using That's fantastic. Let me, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me try to hold you there because uh, okay. you went so fast. You're giving me so much, so much good stuff. But I want to go back to like just sort of the basics. Imagine that I'm imagining that natural gas is coming out of a well, and then it's going to a natural gas processing plant. And as I understand it, these ains, these al it's an alkane, alkane alkanes, uh -huh. are, are heavier and like they condensate. Like, and so instead of, instead of letting propane sort of stay in the natural gas, it's taken off so it doesn't condensate in the pipelines. That's correct. It, and, so, and it has different properties in natural gas, really, at the end of the day. Natural gas is a vapor, as you probably know, really hard to make natural gas a liquid. We do that with liquefied natural gas, but we do it by getting it down to minus 260 degrees Fahrenheit, super cold. Propane, because of that, at the end of the day, behaves a lot like natural gas, but it is easily taken into a liquid form, right, minus, minus 45 degrees. So it's really easy to store. And, you know, in today's environment, we have to talk a lot about stored energy. You know, electricity is not particularly good as a stored energy, less than a battery. Natural gas is certainly not very good to use as a stored energy. Um, one of the beauties of propane is that you can, in fact, store it. And you folks in California, uh, know that very well as you think even about microgrids or some other uh, uses where appropriate storage is important. But you're right. It's, it's, it's a component of natural gas. And, you know, we don't talk much about butane. Butane has really uh, just fewer uses, gasoline blending, some industrial uses. But it's propane that really works its way to, as I would quickly say, it's the natural gas that exists beyond the natural gas mains. Right. You're, you're in L.A. County. You, you have a rich history with natural gas. You have a population density. But when you, when you move into the hills of California, um, that pipeline's not quite so easy. Those people are relying, quite frankly, on propane to heat their home, cook their food, heat yep. their water, that kind of thing. Our home in Colorado, I've, I've relied on it for, for forever uh, up yeah. in the mountains of Colorado. But I want to ask you sort of a basic question about with that flow of natural gas and then the, and then the, uh, the propane being a, a, a part of that and that that's taken off in the processing, that's got to be a small percentage, right? Less than 5%? Well, it actually depends on where that natural gas is coming from. But you're right. In, in round numbers, probably you, you're probably happy to say less than 5%. It's funny, parts of the country are liquid rich. Um, so the natural gas, the Marcella shale, for example, uh, has quite a bit of propane in parts of it, and parts of it are fairly dry. Uh, today, all of those shale plays through Texas are pretty liquid rich. And so makes them more, have, more valuable, makes them meaning, more valuable. Meaning that, that's right. They generally more have more propane. Um, so, but and what, you know, one, one other interesting difference is, you know, you, you really focus on a lot of environmental issues. And natural gas guys don't like it when I talk about this, but propane does not contain methane, even though it is this close cousin to natural gas. 
it doesn't contain methane. And one of the modern uses of propane is actually as a refrigerant. Uh, kind of the, the refrigerant standard, I guess, is CO2. But really, the next refrigerant is uh, today propane. And if you go to your local Aldi or Lidl or, you know, a lot of the stores you have there, that standalone refrigeration is being operated as conventional propane because it's it's not reactive as a greenhouse gas. Right. Um, and when you burn it, it uh, this is thank you for clarifying that. When you burn it, it does release CO2, just like that. That's right. And and. To that end, in round numbers, you know, without being specific, so talking about the, some specific technology, when it burns, it generally looks more like natural gas. The products of combustion look more like natural gas. Right. But unburned, which is, I would even argue, is kind of natural gas is one Achilles heel, um, is that we don't contain methane. So unburned propane, yeah. escaping propane, that is not really reactive uh, with ozone layer. Yeah. Now, we're, we're getting right to my favorite topic here, which is Zambonis. Um, I you, love that you want to talk about it. One of my favorite things. <laughs> as, a, as a hockey player, a Zamboni is near and dear to my heart. And, you know, when I started looking at all the different uses for propane, of course, we've talked about home heating and, uh, and water heating and all. But um, then you've got forklifts and Zambonis. Can, and and I, I think the obvious reason is, is that, that these fuels are burning much cleaner than gasoline, right? For an interior space like a hockey rink? Yeah, I was going to say there are two things that, you know, really matter for a Zamboni. One, they want a lot of hot water. Um, and there's really no better way to get hot water than using propane. But also because they're historically used in indoor rinks, uh, the original Zambonis also were outside. But because they're used indoors, then propane becomes the perfect fuel to use them because propane burns so completely. And that's why you see it with forklifts, even in some food service forklifts, any, any place that you have a lot of equipment going indoors or staying indoors. Uh, a lot of times propane is the fuel of choice. Today, if you build a warehouse, it's always interesting to me. If you build a warehouse, all of the concrete finishing indoors is generally done with propane powered equipment because of its very low CO2 characteristics. Zamboni is the poster child for you, for your hockey players of kind of a propane uh a piece of equipment that you recognize running on propane but if you would look outside your door that delivery truck bringing you your ups package or your fedex package or perhaps a bottle of water or perhaps your frito-lay chips that can also be on propane very interesting very interesting um but now when it burns in in a um a barbecue or when it burns uh in a heat lamp that's at a restaurant, uh, are there are there socks and knocks that are coming off? I mean, you said burns very pure, very clean, but are there are there some of these? Oh, so I love it when people want to talk about criteria pollutants because rarely, unless I'm talking to EPA, everybody glazes over immediately. So <laughs> yes, so to say no would be completely wrong. There are socks and knocks, but let's let's at at some level they are so reduced from gasoline or diesel or comparable to natural gas. But let me put it, because it's, it's the one thing, and particularly I love talking about it to people who live in LA where smog is a constant part of your life. And so the, the NOx component compared to a diesel engine is reduces NOx 97%. Uh, 
particulate matter, which to me is my number two uh, most feared pollutant because particulate matter is a known carcinogen, harmful to you and me, but particularly harmful to young lungs. Particulate matter, I cannot say it's eliminated. I can't say it's reduced 100%, but I can say comfortably it's reduced 99.999% because we still can't find it in the most scientific uh, instruments that exist to look for particulate matter. So those two particular components, NOx, uh, particulate matter, 97, 98% reduction from diesel, a significant reduction from gasoline as well. When you start talking about socks, greatly reduced, but not, not gone. Yeah, very interesting. Well, this, this is really leading us to, to auto gas and this notion that it seems to me that the, I mean, obviously in rural areas where you don't have, where you don't have natural gas, propane makes a lot of sense, but it, it seems as though the best um, application of, of gas from an environmental standpoint is where, you, where you're avoiding diesel or where you're avoiding gasoline, right? Correct. And, and, and very much diesel. I mean, I kind of have a constant mantra of let's make this diesel's last decade. Diesel is expensive. It's difficult to store. It, it, you know, you can't store it near water. It can contaminate the soil or groundwater. And then when it's burned today, it's either inherently very dirty or in fairness to the diesel industry, the devices that they have to put on a diesel engine to clean it up, that after treatment stream, it's horrifically complex, heavy, and expensive. And with propane, our most modern engines, even more modern than the diesel engines, um, we're at the lowest levels of NOx that you can find, 0.02 it would be in California, ultra low NOx. We do it with a simple three-way catalyst. Um, and it just is so much cleaner, cheaper, better, quieter for the operator. It's it's truly uh, kind of a win-win-win. Better for the operator, better for the company that the operator works for because it's cheaper. And then better. I mean, I sit in the port of uh, Long Beach sometimes and just go, this is the the best because we're not going to contaminate this beautiful water. We're We're better for the operator and we're better for those people who live all around that port and that terminal, and that means it's good for the earth. Absolutely, good for their health. Now, what about cost? Yeah. Is that is that is that the hitch here? Do we no, have no call? Actually, it's funny. That's not the hitch. That's the last piece of the good story compared to diesel. Compared to the initial cost compared to diesel, it's it's about the same. Um, sometimes a few dollars cheaper, sometimes a few dollars more, um, but about the same initial cost. But you know, it's it's almost ironic in the last year diesel has really run up in price you you kind of wear that it kind of settled back down it's been pretty erratic but propane never ran up in price and so where most people would have said they would be operating at 50 percent using propane they'd be operating at 50 percent of the cost of diesel so saving half their cost the last couple months we've seen those savings stretch out to savings of 80 percent in fact my favorite story is uh we we ran we ran a lot of propane school buses across the country, but one of the mayors that made a shift uh, when diesel went up, and he he's in a pretty economically distressed place. He said, "Really, the initial decision to go to propane school buses was a great decision for our, for our town. Now it really means the difference between whether we get our kids to school or not. We we can afford it now. Where if, at six dollars a gallon at that time for diesel." 
it wouldn't have even been affordable. So just a, just an important sort of check-in here for, for listeners. Uh, propane-powered school buses are common. Pro, yes, propane-powered delivery vehicles are common. Uh, larger trucks, uh, uh, semis uh, are, are propane? So propane school buses, 22,000 operating in every state in the country today. So a thousand school districts using it, many of them hundred percent, um, propane trucks. Yes. I, I, I wish I could say more common, um, you know, give or take 60, 70,000 medium duty trucks operating in and around the U S the one thing that's not common or what you just said, that class eight tractor trailer. Um, we had been very respectful over the years of diesel and just did not invest in that class of engine. It's just been in the last couple of years that we have really been focusing on some of those higher horsepower. Interestingly enough, now we run ships on propane um, and we are in a really exciting project with Cummins engine to have kind of the next generation of engines. Uh, although I have to say the first generation is going to be aimed again at that the medium duty truck that brings you water or bread or perhaps, uh, you know, that that mid tier delivery but I'm sure that technology will grow to class eight. And then auto gas um, is a term. And I guess, is that used in many foreign countries, auto gas? And it is a term that we tend to try to agree on around the world. And it's funny, auto gas is very different around the world. If you were to go to Poland, you would see massive uh, private uh, fleets of propane, Japan, the taxi fleet that even supported the Olympics, a Toyota, hybrid uh, propane taxi. Uh, Europe really has been really focused on a lot of propane. Turkey is almost exclusively propane. In the U.S., it has been predominantly for medium-duty commercial fleets, not a lot of private fleets, a few limos fleets, quite a few police fleets use it. Um, you know, I think even those are high idle, high usage. Um, and we've just focused on that medium duty commercial space because one, they really get the benefits of the savings. And secondly, they are the ones that are really uh, responsible for emitting so many pollutants. So we can cut their emissions 97%, as I talked about in Knox, it's significant. And in fact, Ted, I might as well just say it, you know, we often think about fuels of the future and uses of the future. In 38 states in the U.S. today, using a propane medium-duty vehicle is better for the environment than using an electric vehicle. You would say, why is that? How is that possible? It's because today the electric grid isn't as clean as the one we aspire it to be. And so today, using conventional propane, uh, the, the emissions from a propane vehicle are less than the true emissions from an electric vehicle if you consider you know, the site and source. Well, you're, there's kind of a perfect segue to renewable propane, because just as the grid greens and that percentage of the renewable portfolio increases uh, and we squeeze out coal and we squeeze out natural gas and some of the others, um, the grid greens, but then there's renewable propane. Can you can you talk about that? It sounds it, to me, it sounds limited by by feedstock, but help me out here. Where does it come from? Well, it is it is interesting, and that's been what we've been studying for probably five to six years. So renewable propane is, in fact, the same element, propane, uh, that comes from renewable sources. And 
you know, today, in fact, you in California, you're quite used to renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel coming from used cooking oil or fats or oils. That very same process makes renewable propane. And some of the more progressive makers of renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel sell renewable propane out of that same facility. Um, and that, so that's coming from uh, you know, the tallows and used cooking oils and that kind of thing. But how much is there? I mean, to me, that seemed, I mean, I, I mean, in the old days, I had friends that would get those old Mercedes that, could, that ran on diesel and they went and they went to, uh, they got used cooking oil from fast food places. Right. And it just doesn't seem like a whole lot of supply of cooking oil. Or, and am I wrong? Well, well, I'll give you, and I actually know all the numbers, but I, I'll just leave it at this. We can, get, we can get three or 4% of the total yield of, of renewable diesel or sustainable aviation fuel to be renewable propane. But I'll cut to the chase. At the end of the day, we think that will amount to about 250 million gallons of renewable propane. And as We're I said earlier, five billion. So that's what is that? 1% or, 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 well, so we use 10 billion today and we use almost 1 billion just for transportation. So it is, in fact, let's be, let's be honest. It is certainly enough to satisfy the transportation needs of California or the Pacific Northwest, which is where, because of your low carbon fuel standards and, and because of your guardianship and stewardship of the climate, you know, you are kind of the leading audience and customer base for renewable propane. And we're running it today in some of your fleets, some of the school bus fleets in California and selling it all the way up into Washington state. But I think I'm more excited about a plant being built today as we speak in Bakersfield, California, um, that to me is probably the next generation. You mentioned feedstocks and we could talk about feedstocks because that's the game, right? We're only limited in feedstocks and there are only certain feedstocks and we have to think about, well, what does, what is the end use of that feedstock? So for me, municipal solid waste probably generally will be renewable natural gas. And no matter how much we wished we could make renewable propane from that, most municipal solid waste feedstocks will go to be make uh, renewable natural gas. Our feedstocks, and the one that we're really excited about today, is a plant I bet you've never heard of, Camelina. And Camelina is a drought-tolerant, non-food cover crop, works well for farmers. When it's growing, it has a flower on it, and the flower is, you know, becomes a honeybee habitat, which is really important. But more importantly than anything else, it easily converts into an oil, and that oil moves quickly and easily, meaning we don't have to manipulate a lot. We don't have a lot of energy inputs. We don't have a lot of water to add. You know, all the things that we think about, it moves to renewable propane at an easy conversion. That plant today is being built in Bakersfield from a renovated, uh, you know, brownfield facility. And that plant will make 13 million gallons of renewable propane starting this year. That, that to me is kind of the wave of the future as we think about unique feedstocks. Um, that particular one, again, a non-food, drought-tolerant cover crop. Um, and at the end of the day, it makes three things. It makes compost, it makes uh, high-protein animal feed, and it makes renewable propane. We, we were working in a lab with uh, a lot of forest waste now. And 
you know, it's funny in a in a month where now nuclear fusion finally kind of has one breakthrough. I'm always quick to say, as we think about some of these other feedstocks, particularly the one we look for is how to get methane that's just escaping into the earth, whether it comes from a flare or from a municipal solid waste landfill that's not appealing. We're we're close to being able to directly convert that to renewable propane as well. And and if you that's where we really get benefit for the climate, because then we're taking something that's hurting the earth and converting it to something that has a very low zero carbon intensity for most of this. Sure. And I think that's, you know, again, go right to your backyard as we work with the port of Long Beach, who's had a long history of using propane and a lot of that moving equipment and for all the right reasons. And they said, we're going to continue to use propane, but we want to see the path to zero. Now we begin to show them things like renewable propane from Camelina plant that actually will be scored by carb um, at zero or less. And it is, and it's, that's that's the story, right? You, you have to have these innovative engines, but you had to finally innovate in the fuel if you really want to be in the conversation going forward. And that 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 renewable propane will, will still be the same chemistry, that C3 H and and for that, it's the, the beauty of it is now no more infrastructure needs to be built, no new infrastructure, no no new engines needed to be developed, no new trucks need to be used. It actually is a perfect drop-in. You know, and, and even as we think about, we think about all the other fuels and energy delivery systems, but you think about the complexity of moving from the grid as we know it today to a grid that's more renewable in its source and all of the change that have to be made or, you know, for this to be a perfect drop-in fuel, it just eliminates a lot of that, what I would call needless investment. Very interesting. And the thing I love about the project I just talked about, it's not something they were thinking about doing or hope to do. It actually is moving forward right now in Bakersfield, California. Tucker, thanks so much for being on the show. This has been a, a great half hour of learning. So I really appreciate it. I always appreciate your writing, your spoken word, and I'm just glad to be a part of it today. Thanks. <laughs> Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Ted. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.